Hey, it's Friday, April the 3rd, and we're studying 2 Peter chapter 1. We've gotten to the bottom of verse number 6. So grab your devices, call this up if you would, and I want you to look at what's here in this text. It's very important for us to understand where we started here. With the divine power granting us everything for life and godliness. Remember this section here? And it's all coming through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence, and he granted us his great and precious promises, uh, his precious and very great promises, sorry, so that through them you might become, now we've talked about this phrase here, partakers of the divine nature and having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. Now we know that that is going to be eternally true when we meet God, when we are glorified. But right now, that that process, there's a process and a, a sanctification process of us gradually becoming more like Christ. We have that reflection of the divine nature. Uh, We've seen that in Colossians in terms of the inner man being renewed, that is uh, bearing the image of its creator. So we're seeing more of that divine nature come through in our behavior and our lives. And then that escaping from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. Paul says in Galatians 6, the corruption that comes because of our sowing to the flesh is still a reality now, but we want to see it be less and less. So this is a progressive reality. And it says, because of this, we want to, here's a very key phrase here, make every effort to supplement our faith, right? And now we've dealt with all these issues here so far, virtue and with virtue, knowledge and knowledge, self-control and self-control steadfastness or uh, the stick-to-itiveness, we said, that that, uh, hupomene, that continuing on with a, a persevering patience. And then the last thing here in verse number six is this phrase right here, this one word rather, godliness. We want to see godliness added. That's a big word. If you want to think about uh, that word characterizing a person, that's a big deal, right? If I said, think of your friends, uh, what one word would you use to describe that friend or this friend? Uh, That's a big thing if you said, well, that person is godly. And, And I would hope that more and more people would think that of you, not because of some phony pious behavior, but because of a real genuine reflection of the character and the attributes of God. So that's what this has been all about. This study is about expending every effort. Remember, that's how this starts. Every effort that we might be able to reflect the character of God increasingly. I want you to look at this next passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4, just so we know that this is something that God says is going to take a lot of work. This is a great section right here. This is second, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter four. And it says, uh, you know, don't get engaged in all these silly, irreverent myths and all that. Rather, here's a big word, train yourselves for, there's our word, for godliness. This word right here, train yourself, is the word that is used of someone in a in a athletic competition and training for it. As a matter of fact, this word is transliterated gymnasium. Uh, this word translates train here, and you can see very clearly the context of bodily training. Right? Look at this next phrase here in verse number eight. Bodily training is of some value. Right? No matter there is some good things, of course, to being healthy and being strong. But godliness that's our that's our topic here is of value in every way. It holds promise for the present life and of course, because it's gonna be rewarded for the life to come. So we wanna train ourselves. And that's a word right there if you wanna think about it, going to the gym, getting your body in shape. There's something about your spiritual life that needs to be trained. There needs to be that work of the fatigued muscles and the discipline that you have to get yourself in physical shape. There's that kind of training for godliness, which is our concept here in this passage that we wanna see more of. It's gonna take work. Make every effort right, to add to your faith and the 
topic today is godliness. I want you to think about that concept of godliness, reflecting the character of God. Now, of course, we can look at passages like John 15 and know that there's something organic. There's something that comes from the relationship we have with God, with the spirit dwelling within us. And that's the synergistic nature of this, God working in us to produce godliness. And yet we know while he's at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, this is a effort. This takes training. This takes making every effort to see these things realized in our lives. And I want to talk about three quick ways that we do this. Number one, if we're going to be godly, reflecting God, our thoughts need to be captivated by God. We need to think more often about God. This passage in Psalm 63 is always a challenge because it, it, it reminds me that godly people they're reflecting God, their minds are going often to him. Listen to this verse in verse six, Psalm 63, six. When I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. When your mind is free to think about whatever it wants to think about, if it's not an Excel spreadsheet or disciplining your kids or dealing with whatever project is in front of you, where does your mind go? And we need to train ourselves to get our minds back on God, uh, on the importance of God and the magnitude of God's attributes and the greatness of God, which always reminds me of one of my favorite books, A.W. Tozer in The Knowledge of the Holy says in page, page number 10, he says, without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. It's a great concept. That is such a powerful thought to give your mind as, as a disciplined practice, the thought of God. What is he like? What are his attributes? How does he think? How does he respond? How does he deal with his creation? And of course, if we think rightly about that, and I think Tozer says it well on the first page of that book, he says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Not only that we think about it accurately, which of course we must, but that we think of him often. And when you have a free moment to think about whatever you want to think about, you know, a lot of temptations to think about our hobbies or the next project we have or what our schedule's like tomorrow, I would just ask you to discipline your thinking, to think more of God. Get your mind thinking in those terms. The next thing I would challenge you to do if we want to reflect more of God is to have those thoughts then move into the motivations of our hearts. In other words, our thoughts to think abstractly or even concretely about the things that God has revealed about himself is one thing, but then to allow those things to become the reason I do things, to connect my, my actions, to start to develop and shape my motives. Uh, you know this verse, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 reminds us that when it comes to every single thing that we do, there ought to be something behind those things. Whether it's eating or drinking, we should do whatever we do to the glory of God. We want to think about God as a motivating factor in what we do. Here's a passage I want you to look at in Zechariah. Put it up here on the screen for you. Zechariah chapter 7. In Zechariah chapter 7, uh, they have come through the... Uh, 70 years of exile. And as God looks back to think about what they were doing during that period of time, look here in Zechariah chapter 7, beginning in verse 4. He says, Say to all the people of the land and the priest, he said, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and the seventh month, which was their practice, for these 70 years during the exile, look at this phrase, Was it for me that you fasted? When you did those things, you had godly behaviors, right? The externals were godly, but was it for me that you fasted? He says in verse number six, when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? I mean, wasn't that really, you had thoughts about your own life? And this is certainly where Paul gets that idea there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that we need to 
to eat or drink or do anything to the glory of God. I mean, I certainly imagine Paul was thinking that's the problem with so many things we do, even godly things that we do. Uh, we do things so often without any reference to God. Our thoughts need to go, be, go back to God. Our motives start need to be saturated uh, by God. We need to have that picture in our minds of saying, how can I do what I'm about to do with a motivation uh, for God? Let me one, one more passage I'd like you to look at here in Colossians uh, chapter 3. This is a passage we ought to think of often when it comes to our daily activities. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 22. It says, Bond servants, you ought to obey in in everything uh, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, we've got the Lord, we've got Him in our mind, in our view. And then here's a verse I hope you quote often when you go to work. Whatever you do, whatever it is, work heartily, going to work hard. And here's the word, here's the phrase right here, as for the Lord and not for men. Of course, we are going to do things as it says up here. We're going to make sure that we're doing what we're assigned to do. But when I work, I want to make sure that I'm thinking and being motivated by the Lord, knowing that from the Lord, you're going to receive the inheritance as your reward. The Lord is going to reward us. And then here's the overarching perspective of our lives. You are serving the Lord Christ. That should be the motivating factor of everything we do. Whatever you got planned, Uh, for the rest of the day, whatever you got planned for tomorrow, I want you to be thinking about how can I shape my motives to say, how does God in my mind uh, affect the things I'm about to do? How can I do these things for the good, for the glory, for the honor, for the pleasure of God working for him? So we need to make sure our thoughts are more often going back to the Lord. We need to think about how those thoughts can begin to shape my actions. In other words, my motives, direct my motives as to why I'm doing those things. And then lastly, of course, to be very specific about what I do and make sure those things are the kinds of things that Christ would do. I mean, it was a very you know big rage back in the day to wear that little wristband, what would Jesus do? And I know a lot of people kind of dismiss that as a kind of a juvenile thing and all the rest and a lot of very... Uh, uh, erudite uh, scholars were talking about how that's a dumb thing to do. But listen, it's a very good thing to do. I mean, I'm not saying you got to go out and get the, the wristband, but I am saying to think about what would Jesus do in this situation? And let me give you a biblical precedent for that. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says, whoever says he abides in him, in other words, you say you have a relationship with God, with Christ, you ought to walk it's a word that Paul liked to use a lot regarding our behavior, peripateo. It's a idea of your the manner of your life. You need to walk or live your life in the same way in which he walked. Of course, you can't calm the storm. You can't, you know, uh, raise the dead or heal the the blind man. I get that. That's not the idea of expressing the omnipotent power of God, but it is about you reflecting the way that he dealt with people, how he was acting, the things that he would or would not do. That's the kind of, of thoughtful behavior that makes sure that when I act with a godly motive, I'm not only trying to do um, whatever I do with a godly motive, but I'm trying to make sure that the things that I do with that godly motive are clearly godly things. Uh, very important for us to recognize. We know that even though the first century may seem like a distant time, uh, we need to know that there are lots of good examples of people, maybe who've walked through the Christian life longer than you have, that know how and have been seasoned in living out their Christian life in the modern era, and those become uh, examples to us. Uh, Here's a good example. Look at this passage with me in uh, Philippians chapter 3. And I know it surprises people because we like to always say, well, don't look at me, look at Christ. But look at this passage right here. He says to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, he says, join in imitating me. 
That's the Greek word uh, to mimic, uh, mimetai. We get we transliterate it into mimic. Do what I'm doing. Imitate me, he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk. There's one of his favorite words for our lifestyle, according to the example that you have in us. I mean, that seems so unmodern. I mean, the modern Christians don't like to say, they say, don't look at me, look at Christ, right? The Bible says that we need to find good examples and godly people who are fleshing out, if you will, the principles of God in the daily life here in the 21st century. I and mean, even now, in the middle of this COVID-19 uh, crisis, what are the kinds of things that godly people who think about God, who are godly motivated, what do they do? How do they act? How do they respond? And sometimes they're counterintuitive, even like having peace in the midst of a storm. Jesus asleep on the cushion on the boat, right? The guys were like, what are you doing? Uh, you, you, you don't care about any of this? You don't care that we're dying? Or I thought about, and I jotted this one down in Matthew chapter 5, when he says, listen, when you are kind to your enemies, you love your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you, when you do that, you're sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 44. You're sons of your Father in heaven because he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Tie all those together now. It's one who thinks about God and who he is and how he acts. It's one who then finds a motive that aligns those thoughts about God's with what they're about to do. And then they make sure that they do the kinds of things that God would do. Those are the three levels of trying to expend every effort uh, to be more godly. To, say, to have people say of us, there is a godly person, not for the sake of the adulation of being called godly, but knowing that my thoughts are more often on God, my motives are more often aligned with pleasing and honoring God and glorifying God, and my actions are more godly. That right there is a great package of the idea that drives us in our daily activities to be more and more godly. And the Bible says make every effort like that great word, gymnazo, to uh, gymnasium. We need to train ourselves to see more godliness in our lives. So think more, more often about God. Uh, make it more of your motive to please him in what you do and make sure that the things you're doing today would be the kinds of things that the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, would do. Thanks for joining us for our study here in Second Peter uh, chapter 1. We move on to verse 7. Uh, next time we get together on Monday. Uh, and be sure you subscribe however you're consuming this uh, Bible study, either on YouTube or on your podcast. We'd love to have you join us on Monday for Second Peter chapter 1, verse 7.